The Healing the City podcast is a ministry of the Village Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you enjoy the Healing the City podcast and wish to support it financially, you can go to villagersonline.com, click the We Give tab, and follow the instructions. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Healing the City podcast. My name is Eric Seepin. And across from me is Susan Seepin, my beautiful wife, or as some people like to call us, Pastor Eric and Pastor Sue. And uh, Susan spoke uh, on Advent, the second week of Advent, on Psalm 77 and 72. <laughs> just 72. I'm just really, just 72 and not 77. And she connected to the Magi. And so I thought maybe we we could kick it off by you reading Psalm 72 verses one through seven, which is what you spoke on. Sure. I have it pulled up in a different version than we were using on Sunday. So I'm going to pull up the NIV. Endow the King with your justice. O God, the Royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon, through all generations. May he be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. Amen. God bless the reading of his word. So let me kind of summarize things and then let you just jump into it. So last week we started in um, Psalm 122 and we talked about this idea of Advent being the beginning of a journey towards Jesus, um, towards the birth of Jesus and towards the hope of his return. And we grabbed hold of that Psalm in the uh, Psalms of Ascent 122 and started this idea of packing your bag. Mm-hmm. And we said, Okay, you're on this journey, and in your bag you need community, you need imagination, you need obedience, and you need prayer. You kicked your sermon off as saying, hey, the Psalms are actually a friend that mm-hmm. pack our bags, help us understand what's important, help us um, engage in an ancient community, help us um, in our imagination, call us to obedience, and are historically something we can use as a prayer, part of our prayer life, and as mm-hmm. prayers. Um, and so then you began the journey out of Psalm 72 to talk about the friendship of the Psalms. And uh, and so I'm just going to let you kind of now add everything that you wish to add that you didn't say. (laughs) And we can just kind of talk about this process of what you talked about. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited about the idea of the Psalms leading us into community, imagination, obedience, and prayer, because I think that's something that I'll take with me into the next year of reading the Psalms and praying the Psalms and considering what they're calling me to imagine and all of those different pieces. What is the obedience here? What is the community here? Um, I think that's a pretty cool idea. Yeah. I think one of the things that struck me about your, um, your sermon was the idea of the friendship of the Psalms. Like you asked the question, has a Psalm ever befriended you and, and how does it, um, how did it connect to you and 
you know, it's, your description of that was, is that it keeps coming back to you and it keeps coming back to you and your times of distress mm-hmm. and your times of joy, like it's what pops into your head. It's what comforts you. And what struck me about that was it's not just the Psalms, but the Psalms are beautiful in that mm-hmm. scripture has always befriended me. Yeah. And I think that's a really yeah. powerful thought that maybe we don't, you put words to. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think what it really is, is it's Holy Spirit inspired and the Holy Spirit continues to speak through it. So the Holy Spirit is speaking to us in the Psalms and is also potentially connecting us to the author at some level that we don't fully understand. You know, like you read a text and you feel connected to the author, whether they're still living or not. Right. Uh, It's a piece of them that remains. And the Holy Spirit is connecting us into that community of the people who have followed after God. But the Holy Spirit is the one who's speaking to us and befriending us as we enter into Scripture. And I think that... There's a real sense that if we will submit to Scripture, then we're reading Scripture, but also Scripture reads us and corrects us and trains us and teaches us what it is to be fully human. And so that's all mediated by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I I think if Scripture is God-breathed, what's really powerful and part of the, the inspiration when we say Scripture is inspired our experience of an inspired scripture happens when the spirit of God in us Mm -hmm. who wrote scripture, those two things in this mysterious way come together. And that's the friendship that's happening Mm -hmm. there is the spirit that inspired the words and the spirit that is in me are the same one. Yeah. And, and so um, it's a friendship with God. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. a really powerful uh, that you're not going to get with any other book. Yeah. Right? This is a whole different, this is a living book, which is really interesting. And well, I think that Matthew, uh, in the conversation in the morning, uh, brought that up also. That not Matthew, the, the book of Matthew, but actually Matthew from our church. Yeah. Uh, he was saying that kind of like in the world of Tolkien, where the author is writing, that was a very noisy swallow. He just did. <laughs> Eric is drinking soda water. Um, where there's the authors creating the world, but also the language and then also the poetry in the world. And we have that in scripture where the creator of the world and then the one who created our capacity for language then picks up the language and all of the symbols available in the world to communicate his love for us in poetry and through this overarching story that's beautiful. So can you talk a little bit maybe uh, about Psalm 72? Because I love the way you open and and you talk about how you weren't friends with this psalm. Uh Because, A, it it wasn't one that had jumped out at you when you've read through the psalms. And you kind of expressed maybe your own wrestling with kingship. So you skipped over this in some way or it just didn't resonate. Mm -hmm. But you were forced, in a sense, to make friends. Yeah. Um, You know, it's kind of that thing where... You go to school and they assign you a, a table <laughs> and you have four other partners. And so they're going to be your friends, right. like it or not. And Psalm 72 was put at your table. And so you had to start to be friends with it. So can you just talk a little bit about that process and what you've learned about Psalm 72? Yeah, I think that it's an example of scripture reading me in some ways where I approach this scripture and I think, I don't understand this. I don't know why this is talking about Christmas. And 
ultimately it's because I haven't submitted this part of my life to God that says, yes, there is a king. I'm not that king. Jesus is the king, and I will fully accept him for who he is as king now in my life and in the world. So um, so I feel like it was kind of that, that sort of thing happening, uh, and that I just became acquainted with it and discovered that along the way. So I became acquainted by reading it in lots of different English translations to understand the nuances of the wording. Um, I started looking up the Hebrew words that are in there and where they show up uh, earlier in Scripture and later in Scripture. Can you you talk just maybe about a few of those that were significant to you? Oh, yeah. There was some really interesting stuff in there. Yeah, so maybe we could kind of explore that a little bit. Because you mentioned that in your sermon, but you were unable to really dive deep or we would have been there a couple hours. Yes. Yeah. So I think three. there are three or four of them that I thought were really fun. In verse three, may the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. I learned that in Hebrew language and thought, mountains and hills often were metaphors for government. And so there's this double-layered meaning of the mountains bringing prosperity because they're actually places of beauty and produce and whatnot and part of the earth being alive. But then they're also the national government bringing prosperity to the people and then the local government as the hills. So like may all government be subject to him, subject to God, so that there's this justice and peace at all levels of government as well down to our own hills right like down to my little space of authority and government so i thought that was really beautiful and then the next one was in verse six may he be like rain falling on a mown field like showers watering the earth is something that's actually said of moses words when he speaks the law to the people The actual words to describe the law coming out of Moses' mouth are that it was like rain falling on a mown field and like showers watering the earth. And so you have this comparison. Again, it's this um, like natural picture that you might see in a poem. But the layer underneath it is that we're asking that the king would be like the beauty of the law itself that God gave to Moses to give to the people. So we're asking for the law of God to be fully integrated in this king's judgment, that whatever God thinks about the world and how people should relate is how this king should think about the world and how people relate. That's really cool. And then there are some references, I think, to Eden in here, the ideas of... um, the, the sun lasting forever, like may the king last as long as the sun, as long as the moon. May he rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. There are some of these ideas that emerge in Genesis and also get picked up along the way as promises to God's people that they will rule from the river to the ends of the earth, those kinds of things. And so, uh, so I think there is a connection to what people were created to do that God created humans in his image to reflect him perfectly into the created world and to each other. And this prayer is for this king to bring that about, which is another way that it points to Jesus. And then the last thing that I was thinking about that's really fun 
um, is, let's see, it's in verse 17. Then all nations will be blessed through him and they will call him blessed. And that's the promise to Abraham. Abraham's promise was all nations will be blessed through you. And so this king picks up that promise. May all nations, all nations will be blessed through him and they will call him blessed. And so we see this promise that this particular king will be the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. That's really cool. I love how that it builds up this messianic picture. And, mm-hmm. um, but there's another part, and you talk about this in your sermon, that links Christmas and um, the psalm. Yeah. Uh, and it really directly, and that is the conversation about uh, the, the gifts coming from Sheba. Mm-hmm. And can you talk a little bit about that and how that then links us to the Magi um, who go to to visit Jesus? Yeah, verse 10 and, let's see, and 15, I think. Yeah, verses 10 and 15 both mention um, kings from Sheba and then gold from Sheba coming to this king. And Isaiah 60 picks up that idea again and says that camels from Sheba will arrive with bearing gold and frankincense. So you have this um, this idea of royal figures from far away bringing gifts to this yeah. king. And we see that in Matthew, Matthew 2, that the Magi, that word gets interpreted in different ways, but it's these royal figures yeah. from far away have traveled and they are arriving with gold and frankincense and myrrh right. to give as gifts and they want to worship the king of the Jews. Right. Um, and, and some people... That I, idea of magi, um, and the, uh, well, that they could be magicians, or they could be seers, or they could be a king. So there's, there's not quite an idea of who they are, but right. most likely what they're connected to mm. is to Daniel, and because Daniel, because they they have at least some Babylonian uh, connection. Now that Babylon no longer is. Uh, part of the scene in any power way but that the 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 mystics of babylon have passed their their traditions down mm. and daniel was the head of them mm-hmm. for, and so um he and he was a, a jewish prophet so so there would be information about yes. this coming king yes that would rule over all the other kings yes mm-hmm. i think that's uh, you know and so i think the other interesting connection that happens is this is a coronation hymn probably for Solomon initially. Psalm and 72. The, uh, yeah, Psalm 72 is. And the Queen of Sheba comes to visit Solomon. Right. I think it's in First Kings. And she brings gold and spices and yeah. treasures and acknowledges his wisdom, which is kind of a prefiguring if these are uh, also, if these kings or royal figures are coming from Sheba, um, then you have a connection there between the queen of Sheba and the kings of Sheba. Yeah, it's just really cool. And Solomon and Jesus. Just kind of gives you goosebumps. Who are both the son of David, ultimately. Right. Like the king, Solomon is the son of David. Jesus is the son of David because he's ultimately a descendant. In he's in the line of David. Yeah. Yeah. That's oh, so cool. So one of the things that I thought, well, that you did well and was really interesting to me that you picked up was the Magi's journey, like they are pretty convinced that, to, that they need to find this king and they need to worship him. And so they're on a search and you contrasted their journey with the journey of 
of Herod and their encounter with Herod. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, it, and, and you began to, you asked us a question of like, who are we? Are we Herod? Or, or are there areas in our life that are, are we're controlling our kingdom mm-hmm. versus seeking the king? Yeah. And I, I thought that was, well, it was kind of difficult to kind of have to wrestle with a little bit is because of how violent and illegitimate Herod is yeah. as a king. Yeah. And you talk a little bit about just about how, I mean, it's in the sermon, but can you maybe expand a little bit more on that contrast between the Magi and Herod and then also... How does that kind of play out in our life? How do we engage sort of what you were inviting us into? Yeah, I think what really stood out to me about Herod is he stays put. He doesn't go anywhere. Whereas the Magi are totally marked by the fact that they're on this quest. They're on a journey to find Jesus. So they're investigating. They're watching for him. They're looking for signs. They're finding out who he is and why it matters. And then they're just, as soon as the sign shows up, they just drop everything and head on this really inconvenient journey, you know, going from wherever they're from, whether it is somewhere in Babylon or potentially in Ethiopia to Jerusalem is a long journey by camelback. Yeah. Right. And, um, and a difficult and expensive one. Yeah. Right, so they're making a great sacrifice to go. And uh, Bob Lefevre in the evening service mentioned to me that I hadn't talked about faith, and this week is the Advent week of faith, Uh the Advent candle of faith, and that what they demonstrated to us was faith, the willingness to drop everything and be inconvenienced for something. They didn't know what they were going to find on the other end, but they were willing to hope that it was true and have faith that it was worth it and go on the journey. So that's the Magi. And Herod stands still. He doesn't, he's not looking. He has his head in the sand. He stays in his kingdom and he tries to govern his kingdom and protect himself and keep everything intact from where he's standing. And, and, and to the point of using violence to hold on to his kingdom. Yeah. And that he kills all the, the two and unders. Yeah, violence against Bethlehem. his own people who he's supposed to be serving right. as a good king. And I think he had this opportunity to arrive and be the one to speak the coronation hymn of Psalm 72 over Jesus. He could have been that guy. Right. And he chose not to. He opted out. And to, yeah, a great oppression to his own people. And certainly devastating consequences for himself as well. So can you then help us make the translation of like, okay, so how how do I think about parts of my life as Herod? Yeah, well, I or think... I'm acting as Herod. I think something that came up in both services was this idea that um, if there's a place in our life where we are trying to protect our own kingdom as a higher priority than the kingdom of Jesus, then we will exploit other people and we will manipulate other people for our own purposes. So we will become tyrants at some level. And so I think one of the indicators is to look for where am I being tyrannical or manipulative or costing something of another person so that I can get what I want. I think those are good indicators for 
locating the kingdom in our life that has superseded the kingdom of Jesus. Right. And I think that those are places potentially uh, where we may be able to reorder our kingdom so that it is submitted to the kingdom of Jesus and actually serving him. Because I think Herod could have gone and worshipped Jesus and he would have still been the king of the Jews for a while, functionally. But he could have started thinking through what does it look like to turn this over to this man who's growing up in our midst or what does it look like for us to transition this kingdom over to the true king who just showed up at some point. And um, so he had a kingdom to offer in service to what Jesus was doing. So I think we have kingdoms that they're not all illegitimate, right? right? We have areas of authority. We have things that we can make decisions about. And we have the opportunity to use our decisions and our resources to serve Jesus and facilitate his kingdom Mm -hmm. instead of fighting it and trying to get our desires met, our identity affirmed, those kinds of things. So... Um, that still feels kind of vague, but I think, I think our fasting may be a pointer for us. Yeah. That's where I was going to head. Um, I think we have been asking our community to consider a Friday fast, um, of possibly food or possibly something else that takes our attention away from seeking Jesus and maybe opens up a little bit more space for seeking Jesus in this Advent season. And so, um, yeah, I wonder if the fast, if what we are setting aside can help us find where our kingdom is. Because I think the Magi were bringing symbols of their kingdom, right? They were bringing symbols of their wealth and their resource and saying, we give these to you. And I think that our fast is a symbol of what we want to submit to Jesus and give to him. So it's a way of bringing gifts that are symbols of, I want to give this and the whole kingdom over to you. Right. So, uh, yeah, for me, uh, I feel like God has led me into kind of an unexpected fast this year that doesn't sound like fasting, but for me it really is. And it was based on the awareness that came up during our Thursday morning prayer time last week that I am um, just committed to being over-responsible. I, I work a lot, um, whether it's for work or for the village or for something else, I'm usually working and taking responsibility for things that are my responsibility, but then also taking responsibility for things that aren't. I feel responsible for other people's feelings. I'm trying to be responsible for what's happening in their lives spiritually and it creates a lot of anxiety for me as well because you can't accomplish things that aren't actually your responsibility to accomplish. And so I felt like what I heard Jesus say was you need to take a couple of hours every week and go be not responsible for anything. And so not even like go have a great quiet time or go be spiritual somewhere or go pray for people, like nothing like that. Like just go unplug and don't be responsible for anything. And so I think that highlights for me um, probably that my value is wrapped up in performance and that that's one of the ways that that I try to control my kingdom, how people perceive me, what I accomplish in the world. 
um, apart from God. So I don't know. That still seems kind of abstract. But no, I think that's really good. That's that an was, example from my life. That was very powerful. And I think, uh, to be honest, that was all that needs to really be said. I think you uh, wrapped it all up. <laughs> that was really good. Okay. Um, so if you have any questions about Advent or you have any questions uh, that you want Healing the City to deal with, you can email us at healingthecity at gmail.com. Also, you can go on our web page or our Facebook page and, and like us and ask questions there. Um, and you can support us. It's right there on this uh, web or this uh, little thing you're listening to. There's a support to the Healing the City. You can click it and support us. So anyway, thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, being part of our community. You've been listening to Healing the City Podcast with Susan Seepman and Eric Seepman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.